Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Yes, by the way, it's not too early to say Merry Christmas. I, I like that. Well, I, wanted, I, I am really excited today. Last, last week, I didn't talk very long. and Today, I have a lot to say. So, I, I want to talk to you about one of the, what I consider the greatest thing about this holiday season. And it's not, I hate to say it, but it's not Santa Claus. And it's not Christmas trees, and it's not Christmas lights, and it's not all the songs we sing. To me, the greatest part of this season is the gift. Not a gift, or not the gifts, but the gift. That gift that was given some 2,000 years ago. You see, 6,000 plus years ago, here's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they have this relationship with God that it's so incredible that God would come down and talk to them in the evening, in the cool of the day. He would come talk to them. Can you imagine that the creator of the heavens and the earth would just come and talk to you every day? He already knows what you've done. But he is so gracious and kind. It's kind of like when we, when we are connecting with our children when they're younger. We already know what they're doing. We know what they're thinking. But you sit down and you get on their level and you say, how are you? So God is talking to Adam and Eve. But they listen to the deceiver. They listen to Satan. And they, and they stumble and they fall. They commit sin. And God being holy and God being righteous pronounces death on them. But at the same time, God does something amazing. In Genesis 3.15, God gives a promise of a Savior. He says, I, I am holy and I am righteous, and because I'm holy and because I'm righteous, I am pronouncing death upon you, but because I'm full of love and because I'm full of grace, I'm going to send you a Savior. Think about that for a moment. You look at God and you say, well, God's holy and, and, he, and he needed to have judgment, but at the same time, God is full of love and compassion. And he says, I'm going to send a Savior, and this Satan, this serpent is going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. And for the next 4,000 years, God puts his plan into action. God starts speaking, and, and, and God's plan is, is to tell us about the coming Savior. And he told us through his, through his prophets, not only that Christ would come, but where he would live, where he would be born, what he would accomplish, how he would die, and how he would conquer death. That's an amazing story, and that's an amazing God. I have a hard time telling my wife I'm going to the grocery store and I'm getting these five things and I come back with four. And here's God, and, and God says, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, 4,000 years before I do it, here's what I'm going to do. I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending the greatest gift to humanity that humanity could ever have. And he tells what he's going to do, and he says, try and stop me. And for 4,000 years, he speaks 
through prophets, ordinary men, and, and prophets like Micah, that in Micah 5.2, he said, But you, Bethlehem, though you are smallest among the nations, out of you will come one, the ruler over Israel. He even spoke through all of the prophets, and then 4,000 years after the promise, some 2,000 years ago for you and I, the Savior was born, born of a virgin, born under the law, born to set captives free. I don't think that we kind of un don't really understand that as much unless we sit down and really consider what that meant. When Jesus said, those that, that, that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Can you imagine waiting for thousand years for a promise for a gift I have a hard time waiting for Christmas day can you imagine having to wait four thousand years and here's Christ on the scene became part of us that we would rescue us from death separation from God and this is the reason why we celebrate Christmas it's the birth of a savior it's the birth of of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what else we, we look at at Christmas. And, and there's a lot of things that I love about Christmas. I love family and I love connecting and I love being with one another. But the greatest thing that you and I can celebrate in this holiday season is the birth of our Savior and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach in a minute. And of all the prophets of those 4,000 years, the whole Old Testament is filled. It's, it's replete with, with men and women that foretold the Savior. And I think the one that really captivates me lived some 700 years before Christ. Isaiah. And I believe Isaiah probably got it closer than anybody to knowing the name Jesus. This is what he said in Isaiah 9, 6. He says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Unto us, unto us, belonging to us, it's our Savior our Redeemer. Notice he didn't say unto them. He was speaking to the, to the Jewish nation, but, but the Jews did not realize that Christ wasn't born just for the Jewish nation. He was born to die and to rise again from the dead for all mankind. Not just for Israel, but for every Gentile nation on the face of this earth. There is no one that is born and living today that Christ did not die for. Christ died for you and I. Don't you love that? He was born because he understood we needed a victor. 
We needed a savior. And none of us had the strength and the power and the intellect and the might and the holiness and the righteousness to accomplish the task. But he said, I'll do it. I'll roll up my sleeve. I'll become one of them. And I'll walk among them. I'll talk among them. I'll live among them. And I will become part of my creation that my creation may share eternity with me. What an amazing God. I, I love that. We're... we're where he says that, that the government will be upon his shoulder. It's referring to a, a badge or an emblem that they wore during that time on their shoulder that signified that they were the ruler. And what, what the prophet is saying is Christ is the ruler of all government and all authority. He has all authority. Think about when, when he was ascending into heaven, Matthew 28. He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We don't serve a straw boss. We don't serve middle management. We serve the one that has all authority in heaven and in earth. If he wants something accomplished, it's going to be accomplished. We serve a mighty, mighty Savior. He goes on to say he's a wonderful counselor. Think about that. Wonderful counselor. Isaiah 118 says this. Uh, I'm going too fast. He, said, Go on, he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Christ, the Savior, the wonderful counselor that, that gives us wisdom and counsels us to buy those things which money cannot buy. He, we, can, we can go to him and receive from him that which man cannot produce. That's forgiveness of sin and granted eternal life. He goes on to say that he's not, only, he's not only the wonderful counselor, but he's the mighty God. Colossians 1, 14 through 17 says this about Christ. It says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, for by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, I, I'm trying to help you understand that Christ was not just a little baby born in the manger. He was God in flesh. He was fully man, and he was fully God. Mm. That's why the winds and the waves obeyed his command. That's why he could walk on water, because he not only created the laws of physics, he could, he could change the laws of physics. Wow. That's why he told Peter to cast the net on the other side, because he knew where all the fish were. He's the everlasting Father. 
And here's where I want to get to today. He is the prince of peace. He's the ruler of peace. He's the magistrate of peace. He's the dispenser of peace. See, the Prince of Peace, that's a descriptor of what role he would have and, and what he would accomplish. And part of Christ's ministry and purpose was to bring peace. So you ask yourself, well, what is peace? Well, sometimes peace is when all the grandkids leave the house and you're just, oh. Peace in its simplest form is simply this, an absence of hostility. When nations have peace, there's no anger or hostility between them. And Christ is the ruler. He is the prince of peace. And Christ brought peace to this world. He brought peace between God and man. He brought peace between nation and nation. And he brought peace between individuals. And I want to speak to you just briefly about these three aspects of peace. The word, first is simply this, world peace. How many times have we heard that in our life? We need world peace. Or you see the bumper stickers that says world peace. Uh, we need world peace. But I'm here to tell you I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I do know this, that as long as humanity is in charge, as long as humanity is running the governments of this world, we will never have peace. In fact, the Antichrist is going to try to come and unite the world and, and, and bring everybody into the same, the same vein of thought. And that whole time he's there, there is going to be chaos around the world. And yet, when Christ comes and Christ establishes his kingdom, the millennium, during that thousand years, there will be no anger. There will be peace. Isaiah 65, 25 says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Poisonous snakes will strike no more. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Think about that for a moment. When Christ comes and Christ establishes his kingdom and, and, and we that are the bride of Christ are are ruling and reigning with him, that there is no more uh, conflict among the nations for all the nations will be ruled by Christ. And they will be ruled in righteousness. Not only them, but also during, uh, during the eternity. Revelation 21.11 says, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. What he is saying is there is going to be peace not only in the millennial, not only in that thousand years, but at that very end of the thousand years when the adversary of our soul is let loose out of that bottomless pit and he causes a chaos, that's when Christ will, will, will allow this 
life to end, and, and time will be no more. And at that, at that point, the adversary of our soul will be cast into the lake of fire. And from that point on, throughout eternity, we will no longer have to worry about pain or suffering or sorrow or, or frustration between one person and another person or between us and God or, 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 between, or anything that, that reduces peace. Because peace will be the order of the day. Think about that for a moment. Can you imagine living in eternity with peace? No anger. No jealousy. None of the things that cause a disruption in peace. We will live with him. The second part that I, I really love is, is he's brought peace between God and man. We focus on this a lot. Here's what Ephesians 2.14 tells us. He said, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Christ not only broke down the wall between Jews and Gentiles, but he broke down the wall uh, of sin between us and God. That there is, we live in a time where, where the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary, when he was on that cross, when he said, it is finished, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God dwelt was ripped in two. And I don't believe it was just a matter of just allowing us to come in, but when that veil was ripped, it allowed the presence of God to go out and to live into each and every one of our lives. Do you understand how, how amazing it is that you can lay your head down at night and know that it is well with your soul because there is no hostility between you and God? I mean, I remember before I met the Lord, before I knew the Lord, He would come to me in the middle of the night and knock on the door of my heart. And for for a solid year, I promise you, for a solid year, every night, the Lord would knock on my heart. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And during the day, I could avoid thinking about things. But at night, at 2 in the morning, when your eyes are awake and, and there is nothing going on, and you know that the Creator is speaking to you, saying, wouldn't you want to remove this hostility, this anger, this judgment, wouldn't you like to have your sins forgiven? I remember going through that for a whole year, and then I finally said, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the division between God and I. I can't take the, the understanding that I am in, not in a right relationship with him and I made my way to a church, and I found myself at an altar, and I surrendered my life to him. And I remember distinctly to this day how that peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension, flooded my heart. Do you remember the time that you realized that all your former life and all the things that you had committed were washed away. 
And, and that when you, when you talked with God, there was nothing between you and him? Peace. Peace between God and man. You know, sometimes as, as people, and I know this is not in there in my notes, but I, I just feel like I want to say it. Maybe it's for me. So I'm going to talk to myself and you can listen. But there are times in my life that I, I know Christ and I walk with Christ and I do stupid things. Have a wrong attitude. Say the wrong thing. And the Lord begins to speak to you. Says, Don't you want that removed? See, the peace that God gives us through Jesus Christ is not just a one-time thing. But we can walk with Him. I don't know, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and, and you say, well, you know, I know the Lord, but man, there's just been so much in my life. I just don't feel that connection with God. Well, I'll tell you how to get that connection with God is simply to go to Him and say, God, I have messed up. And just like you forgave me the first time, I know you're going to forgive me this time. And, and I, I want you to, to pardon me and, to, and to, to make our relationship pure. John said it this way in 1 John. He said, if, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So it's not just a one-time thing. It's, it's, it's constantly allowing the presence of God to purify our lives and allowing the peace of God to settle in. There's nothing, nothing greater than being able to lay your head down at night knowing that should the Lord come, all is well. Romans 5.1 said this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Peace, the absence of hostility with God. You ever try to argue with God? You ever win? Peace. I was sharing this morning, yesterday I woke up and I was just, you ever, you ever have a song pop in your head that you probably haven't heard in like a million years? Uh, and one of them was Rock of Ages. I haven't, I haven't heard Rock of Ages in years. But I was listening, I was, I don't know why, I was focused on that third verse. And I was talking about after this life, and he said, and I'll fly to worlds unknown and behold you on your throne. And it was said with such power and certainty that when this life is over, I will fly to worlds unknown and I will behold him on his throne. And it brings peace and encouragement to my soul 
knowing that all is well with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And one day, all of us will get to see him. The one that died for us, and the one that pardoned us, and the one that suffered for us, and the one that conquered death, and, and is victorious over our number one enemy. That same Christ we are going to get to see face to face. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his amazing grace. Peace. He has given us peace. Perfect peace. We found it when we were saved. And we can find it in this life. In this, in this time of sanctification, of growing to be more like Him. It doesn't matter uh, what we have allowed in our lives. When we go to Him, we receive peace. Here's the third thing I want to talk about, and I'll, and I'll be finished today. is peace in our daily life. It's a result of walking with Christ. This is what Paul told the church in Rome. He said, for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What's he saying to, to us in this passage of Scripture? Simply this, when we allow our thoughts and our minds and our emotions to, to focus on the temporal, upon this life, upon the negative aspects of our carnal nature, it always leads to death. Death of, of relationships, death of, of everything that you can think of. If you're walking and living in the carnal mind, in the carnal spirit, it cannot produce life. It will always produce death. And yet, when our mind our focus is on the Spirit of God in our life. And we're walking after the Spirit of the Lord. And we're pursuing the Spirit in the presence of God in our life. It leads to peace. It's where our, where our thoughts are, where our motive are, where our emotions are. It's allowing the presence of God to guide our lives. You see, you have to understand that peace is intentional. It just doesn't come to us. Romans 14, 19 says, let us therefore make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace. It requires work to bring peace. Sometimes it, it requires humility. Sometimes it requires asking for forgiveness. Sometimes it, it, it requires just going to the Lord in prayer, but it is something that has to be worked on. It's a constant battle in our lives that we have to put down our flesh and follow after the Spirit and realize that there is nothing more important than, than having peace with God and peace with your fellow man. 1 Peter 3.11 says, 
that we must turn from evil and do good. We must seek peace, seek it, and pursue it. You ever notice that peace runs from you? And it's pretty fast. But you have to chase it down. You have to keep it. You have to pursue it. You have to be diligent to, to guard yourself that you always live in peace with your brothers and sisters in this world. You know, peace can guard your heart. Philippians 4.7 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace will guide your life. But you have to pursue it. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back, and I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. I want you to, I want you to think about peace in your life. There's a coming day in the future where we're not going to have to worry about who's elected president, who's serving here, who's serving there. All that's going to be done away with. We're not going to have to worry about uh, nation rising against nation, wars and, and rumors of wars and conflicts. Because Christ, when he's ruling and reigning, there will be peace. No hostility. What a beautiful concept. You say, well, that's a, a fairy tale. No, that's going to happen. It's going to happen, and I plan on being right in the middle of it. I've put all of my eggs in that one basket because I know that basket is the right one. It's coming. Are you preparing your life for it? That's the future. Christ, that peace that with God that, that Christ offers to all that come to him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you don't know him, or if you're watching online and if you don't know Jesus Christ, if maybe you've thought about it, maybe you've considered him, and maybe you believe he was a good man, but when you understand Isaiah 9-6 and you really comprehend who he really is, and he's saying to all of us, come, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you're tired of living in a, in a, in a life that is restless and full of confusion, come to Christ and he will give you peace beyond your comprehension. Because my friends, there is nothing better. There is not a, a better feeling that when you lay your head down at night, you know that you know that you know that everything is right between you and God. And then there's peace among us. That's our part. See, the future is the Lord and, and, what, and, and His work on the cross and giving us peace 
between our Creator and us is, is up to Him, but, and He has supplied that, but peace between us comes through pursuing it. Pursue peace. Do and act and live and talk and do everything you can to keep an absence of hostility between you and your fellow man. Christ on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Pursuing peace requires an understanding that it's not about who's right. being in right relationship. God is so good to us. This, this Christmas season, we have the greatest gift that has ever been given to humanity. We have Christ, the Savior. May He grant us peace in our hearts and lives today. Pray with me. Father, we 